Are you ready to turbocharge your financial IQ? Hey friends, my name is Murray Miller and I want to welcome you and your family to the Family Business Podcast where every episode is designed to keep you focused and on track to live a life free of financial stress, worry and fear. Would you like to know the exact powerful money strategies that not only our immediate family has implemented, but also our extended family of thousands and thousands of people around the world? Well, then let's get on with it and let's begin building a financial wall around your family. Hey guys, welcome back. What's up, everybody? I'm very excited to bring you this particular episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the seven different sources of residual income. And this has been something that's been formulating for a while. I've talked to a lot of you guys about this in different aspects, you know, on different subjects. But today, I'm going to kind of pull everything together as one. I'm excited to be back from California, back on the East Coast on Cape Cod. And uh, yeah, this is going to be a terrific episode. So I know. You can share this episode with your friends and family. You can listen to this over and over again, but I'm going to put everything I have. As I said in the very beginning, every single episode, I'm going to pour 100% of myself into this. So let's get started. Let's talk about no matter where you are in terms of what your age is, your net worth, your financial goals, I always want to have this conversation about residual income. You know, residual income or what some people sometimes call passive income or mailbox money, this is just an aspect of financial planning that is very often overlooked um, or even dismissed. And I think today is, um, you know, one of those days that we're going to expose this to you. Hopefully you can understand it. And if not just understand it, you can consider it and the possibilities that this can create for your life. You know, um, I've always defined retirement as time freedom, not a date, not a time, not an age, not a certain amount of money, but time freedom to do what you want, when you want, and have no worries or obligations that are there to slow you down. And I believe that most people think of retirement differently. Most people think of retirement like, when I retire, I will be able to live off my investments, or maybe my social security or my pension if I had one, or dividends and interest from my 401k or IRA or even an annuity if you have one invested in one of those. However, I don't believe that's truly residual income. Now, there's an aspect of that being residual income. I mean, um, that's a great plan for most people. And for some people, they you know have been diligently saving and contributing the maximum amount they can to their retirement accounts. So, you know, if they remain healthy, that can be a plan that can work for you. And if that's your plan, then guess what? You may be already planning a source of residual income for yourself without even knowing it. I mean, dividends and interest are a form of residual income. Social Security certainly is as well. The government takes from our paychecks. We get a small percentage of that back when we retire. And even though it's taxed again, and yeah, that's another completely different episode because they like to tax things that have already been taxed in that particular case. But I believe the problem with these forms of residual income is that we don't have a lot of control over when we can start accessing the funds. Therefore, it's more age-based. It's based on when you turn 59 and a half. That's when Social Security says you can take money without a penalty. Or when you're in your 60s, you can take from your IRA or 401k or your retirement plan. And in most cases, you won't be penalized and you'll be able to just pay your taxes and start building your retirement income at that point. I just see a couple of problems with that. Uh, first of all, we don't have complete control of our IRA or a 401k. 
and odds are you have limited choices in your terms of investments and uh, you know those funds will dictate when you can start withdrawing money and for what purpose the other problem is that these particular types of residual income um, they only can work if you accumulate wealth according to their limits and their rules so that is not ideal the good news in my opinion is that we all have the opportunity to start making residual income today regardless of our age regardless of our bank account balance you don't have to do this by anyone else's rules so before we talk about the sources of residual income that allow us to have that control and have that unlimited earning potential I think it's important to establish that there really are only two types of money everyone knows that you know we have money that we can access now and money that we can access later and in the financial planning world the now and later money is classified as non-qualified money or now money or qualified money as later money which you can take as you get older so let's take a look at this now money or non-qualified money is your basically your cash it's your checking your savings your individual accounts maybe your real estate or your life insurance or even your cryptocurrencies that is all held in after-tax accounts so it's now money that we can get whenever we want it's liquid later money or qualified money is the savings that we put together in our IRA our Roth IRA our 401k 403b Retirement plans like that, even deferred compensation and pension plans are considered part of that qualified money. So later money, for the most part, can't really be meaningful, or I should say can't really be accessed meaningfully until after you're 59 and a half. So in addition, um, you know, conventional or common financial planning practices puts most of the emphasis on accumulating money for your post-retirement years. And that has some severe limitations if you want to do that in a tax-deferred way. So not to get into all the IRA rules on this particular podcast, but just understand there are limitations when you use the government's way of saving, which gives us some tax benefits, in order to create a residual income for yourself. I am not suggesting that you abandon your pursuit of building money in the later accounts for retirement, I just want you to stop limiting yourself. I mean, I have deliberately taken a different approach to making money and building a residual income, and I know that real wealth is built with after-tax now dollars, and that is what I do and how I educate people regarding money. We need after-tax money or cash flow to live on, and typically most people do that by having a job and collecting a paycheck. Whether you love your job or you can't you know, even imagine leaving your job because you love it so much, or maybe you're part of what I think is over 70% now of people that say they're not happy with their job, um, you can still earn a residual income regardless. Uh, and I'm not suggesting you quit your job. I'm not suggesting anything like that. I'm suggesting that you can create multiple streams of income to provide for you and your family, and a job is just one of them. For many people, the job is not enough, and that's why people in record amounts are finding other ways of generating additional income, whether it's through a second job or a side hustle, um, whether it's through, you know, let's say waitressing or driving in an Uber or uh, renting out an apartment or bedroom through Airbnb. Make no mistake, every dollar that you can earn now that exceeds your expenses is one step closer to time freedom. 
I mean, whether that comes for you at 30 years old or at 60 years old or whatever the age is, you know, I'm not suggesting that you work a four-hour work week or do something crazy or not something crazy, at least without being calculated. But I do want you to understand that passive income, because that's really how you take control of your financial life, is the, is the key that we should be working towards. We need to stop tying our retirement to government benefits and start tying it to what we can do right now to earn now money and put it to work. So instead of asking how we're going to retire at age 65 or whatever that age is that you're shooting for, we should be asking how are we going to retire tomorrow? Why do we put an age on this at all? You know, if we're focused more on what we can do with now money, then tomorrow is going to take care of itself. So let's dive in. What are the seven sources of residual income? Okay, so if you are in a position to write this down, awesome. If you're not, I think what I'll do is I'm just going to make this episode um, in downloadable format so that it's a document so people can actually look at this. But here we go. Ready? Number one, royalties. Number two, network marketing. Number three, subscription models, which I would include affiliate marketing inside of that. Number four, owning a business. Number five, investments, which obviously stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Number six, real estate. And number seven, savings, compound interest savings, which in particular would be life insurance because of the tax-free benefits of that. So Taking stock of where you are today is going to be a crucial part of figuring out how to move forward with this because you need to establish a baseline. So you have to know where you're at so we know where we need to get you to progress to as you're moving forward. My question to you at this point is are you currently earning income from one of these seven sources other than your, you know, whatever it is that pays your bills? And also, I don't want people to be confused because there are a certain number of these um, residual income opportunities that aren't necessarily always residual. For example, business. Um, business is not necessarily a, res a residual. It can be, but it's not automatically residual. Same thing with investments. They're not automatically residual. Same thing with real estate. If you're not, if you're living in your real estate or if it's a vacation home, it's not, it's not an income producing asset. So that is not going to create a residual income for you. So let's define exactly what we're talking about. First of all, I think it's probably important to understand that residual income in itself probably has more than one definition. The two definitions that I'm familiar with is number one, Residual income is income that continues to be generated after the, init the initial effort has been given. So you compare that to what most people focus on, which is linear income, which is sort of a one-shot compensation or payment in the form of a fee or a wage or a commission or a salary in, in return for the labor or the hours that you put in. The other definition of residual income is not actually a type of income, but rather a calculation that determines how much discretionary money an individual has available to spend after most of their monthly bills are paid. So in layman terms, we call this your monthly nut. What has, uh, you know, what has to come from the pay that you have to pay your bills, feed your family, and execute the lifestyle that you desire? The goal is to have residual income that comes in covering your monthly nut to achieve the time freedom. 
So I believe that income that exceeds your expenses is really called profit. So let's use this first definition for the sake of this episode since all income is documented on your tax return and we have to file our taxes. So let's take a look at how the IRS views this. So according to the Internal Revenue Service, um, they're going to categorize income into three broad types, active income, passive income, and portfolio income. Earned income is income that is a result of your direct labor. This income is usually in the form of a W-2 or as a small business income is provided on your Schedule C. That is a part of your personal tax return and it's subject to Social Security and Medicare taxes and self-employment taxes if, that's, if it's a small business. Passive income on the other side would include rental income if you own real estate, royalties, income from businesses or investment partnerships or even from a multiple member LLC which we actually discussed on a previous episode, which you should go back and listen to if you hadn't heard that one yet. Um, but this is passive income, and this is not subject to self-employment taxes, which is very cool. Additionally, let's take, for example, if you wrote a book or you wrote a song and you're receiving royalty checks. That income is also passive and not subjected to self-employment taxes. Very cool. But if you write several books or several songs and you consider yourself a songwriter or, or a writer in general, then you are materially participating in your activity and your income is earned income. A little differential there. And yes, you would pay self-employment taxes on that income. Lastly, portfolio income is generated by selling assets and is taxed at the capital gains rate or the ordinary income tax rate depending on how long you've owned the asset. Interest and dividends are also considered portfolio income. Now, looking at the sources of residual income, let's look at the various forms of creating residual income and let's break down each one. Let's start with royalties. Royalties are income that is earned from the creation of a music, uh, of music or books or inventions or machines with patents, things like that. When you create something like a book or a song and you put it on a platform like, you know, you run it on Amazon or Spotify or whatever, and you receive compensation based on when that item is purchased or used, that is a royalty. Most of us don't have the potential to quickly create a royalty system or a stream of income. Not to say that you couldn't. You could certainly specialize in something or you could write an ebook, or you could be, let's say, musically inclined and you you know, you could write a song, but to create true residual income, I think that it's going to take a lot more effort and skill. Royalties are a volume game, and what I mean by that is selling one book is not going to make anyone's retirement dreams a reality, but when it works, it can work really big, and this is the purest form of passive residual income that you can achieve. And by the way, there are courses on how to write a best-selling book. There are consultants and businesses that help people craft the book that they've always wanted to write. And you can do it in a shortened time frame if you have help with it so you don't have to learn everything yourself. I mean, if this is something that you want to do to create a royalty stream of income for yourself and enhance your own brand or uh, you know, reach out to people as a thought leader in a specific space, or if you want to write a book on a topic that you're just passionate about, then by all means, you should go for it.
I view the royalty stream as one of the purest forms of passive income and probably one that has one of the greatest potentials of all the streams because you can literally create something amazing once and profit from it from a, for a long time. But, uh, you know, for most full-time authors or composers, this isn't how they make the bulk of their money. I'm, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't pursue it, but you need to be realistic about the importance of sales volume. I mean, you have to do this over and over again and how quickly you could ramp up that volume. Creating material that is truly mailbox money takes work. And the more you pour into your craft and continue making content, the more entrenched or reliable that stream of income can become. So don't quit after your first hit, right? Keep hitting. All right, let's move on to the second one. One of my favorites, which is network marketing. So network marketing is a very unique business model, and it has probably made more millionaires than any other business, at least according to Rich Dad, Poor Dad's author, Robert Kiyosaki, in his book called The Business of the 21st Century. The industry of network marketing as a whole is growing very rapidly. The um, leverage that you can create in this business when you're leveraging referrals or direct sales to increase your revenue and market products is immense. The industry requires some emotional and mental fortitude in order to make this residual income sustainable and make it possible like you would with other businesses. Um, and basically the way it works is you build up a network of people who are both using and referring the products or services that the company that you're representing offers. You have an opportunity to build a team which allows you to not only make money on the products or services that you consume and refer to others but also what your team does as well and there's where the leverage is created. Um, there are so many network marketing companies out there that you can partner with based on your own passion. And by partnering with a network marketing company, you have the, um, the benefit of a very low business startup cost. Typically, you're just inventing, uh, excuse me, investing in trying their products for yourself. Um, there are certain criteria that you would want to look for in a company. Um, you can refer to the podcast I did with Chelsea where she talked about two of the most crucial things you look for in a network marketing company before you dive in because as she said, most people get into network marketing accidentally. Someone offers them a product or a service, they try it, and then next thing you know, they're referring it to others. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if you're going to do this to truly create a serious residual income, you want to be very, very particular in your choice. Um, she also talked about how the company has already created the products, um, the marketing, the sales, the systems, the ordering, the websites, and all the training. That's very important too. And compared to a more traditional business like a franchise that requires sometimes upwards of a quarter of a million dollars or more in capital to start, um, and not to mention that those businesses require your full-time attention. This is not a part-time gig when you're investing that kind of money in a franchise. So network marketing is a great platform for people who want to get started in earning a residual income from a place of passion, but they don't want to, you know, invest a huge amount of money and quit their job and, you know, be involved in a traditional business or franchise that requires all of their time. Um, there is more and more technology and automation that is helping, you know, th this particular industry go through growth. Also, social media is a huge asset 
when it comes to you know what we are now referring to as social selling because people you're, you're basically leveraging your network with something that you believe in and people trust you and they know you and hopefully they like you and they're going to be interested in what it is you're doing so I believe network marketing is going to become more and more important and valued in the United States and abroad because of the fact that people are being influenced more by their friends than they are by manufacturing uh, an ad campaign. Now, um, it is true to become a top tier professional network marketer, it does require leadership development. And the industry you know, itself has gone through a lot of growth. I, I, I look at my wife, Susan, my daughter, Chelsea, myself, we've invested years and years in developing leaders and we teach it as part of our ongoing training in our network marketing business. And it's just, it's ridiculous the amount of residual income that can be generated year in and year out once you develop an, an amazing team of people that are just as passionate as you are. Everybody works for themselves. Um, but like any business, it requires effort and patience. And, you know, you can build a phenomenal business with the right company, excuse me, with the right company with a very generous compensation plan and the right team of leaders to support you. That's a key attribute. You've got to keep growing and building in order to influence and reach a sustainable residual business over a period of time. So if you are a people person and this appeals to you and you aren't one to quit easily, if someone says no to you or, you know, if you, if you get discouraged easily, you can do this. You can build an impressive business through network marketing. If you want more control of your time, you want to work from home, you want to be involved in a truly uplifting community, then network marketing might be for you. So feel free to reach out to us if you want to have a candid conversation about how that may work for you. Let's move on. Let's talk about subscription models. Now, I did this subscription model in my traditional business with my college funding business. For years, I was charging people a monthly fee to utilize our services, to help them file for their financial aid, to help their student pick the right college, and so on and so forth. So rather than do a one-time um, fee, we did a, a monthly fee while their kids were in college, and this worked out well. Families stayed with us throughout their two or three or four kids and continued to pay a monthly fee. That was a small business um, you know, that had a subscription model. Think about the big ones like Netflix or Costco or Sam's Club. You know, They're on the gigantic end of this. They have subscriptions. Um, and there are thousands of micro-subscription types businesses like the one that I had that create six or seven-figure annual incomes. Many of these businesses have no brick-and-mortar location but exist entirely online. Um, like I said, I was able to do this in, in my college planning business, and it was a terrific model. So as you can see, there are several different types of a subscription model business um, that you can get involved in and I urge you to you know evaluate the list of different types of businesses that can create a subscription type model there's a, a great book that I read a while back called the automatic customer and that particular book explained um, that there are several subscription models to consider it, it, it explained I think the the network model which is sort of like uh, think AAA you know, something that you subscribe to once a year. Um, there, there's a handful of different models within this. Like, uh, you know, there's an upfront um, subscription model. There's a membership model. 
uh, you know, there's um, all you can eat type model where, you know, like Spotify, where, you, you know, you subscribe monthly and you can use all their services for, uh, you know, everything that they have available to you. Um, so there's a lot of different types of services and we can get into that at another time. I'll, I'll probably put this together. Like I said, I'm going to put a document together and I'll be more detailed in this. But for just for this podcast, know that the subscription model is a great place uh, for traditional businesses to create a residual aspect. The next model that I want to talk about is affiliate marketing, which is I think part of the subscription model really. Affiliate marketing is basically getting paid to tell people what you like and showing them where to get it. So you basically, you know, I, I see this on Instagram all the time. If you're on that platform, you probably see it where you have what they call an Instagram influencer and he or she is talking about a product or service that they like and they use and they're recommending that you can get it too and here's a link to do that and if you hit the link and you buy it they get paid and they get paid a piece of that which is kind of cool I mean many Instagrammers and even YouTubers are cashing in on the affiliate business model by doing you know a super deep niche category um, they're doing some kind of you know content production and linking their products that they recommend to you so that you can go and purchase those that also helps them get paid from YouTube and places like Google that has a service called AdSense. So those are the types of things in affiliate marketing that make a lot of sense to me as part of that, excuse me, as part of that subscription model. The next type of residual income comes from a traditional business. And as I had mentioned before, not all businesses are created equal when it comes to residual income. So let's take a look, uh, you know, let, let's use a hot dog stand, for example, because everyone can relate to that. Sure. You know, the hot dog stand might have a, a bunch of loyal patrons that come in and they tell everyone that it's the best hot dog you'll ever have. And they go there on a, on a regular basis. But those people have to wake up every day. They have to buy their inventory, turn their lights on, so to speak, fire up the grill and get paid by producing that product, that hot dog. In contrast, Robert Kiyosaki, who owns a business that sells information like products that are books, online courses, webinars, he makes money while he sleeps. He created each of his offerings once and now sells them over and over again. He's a good example because he sells all of his products electronically and they can be purchased in any language in any country 24 hours a day, seven days a week. See the difference? So there's, they're both traditional businesses. I mean, business is great. It's a great way to create wealth. And in some cases, you can certainly create a passive income to go along with that. But you have to begin with that thought in mind. Brick and mortar businesses have larger upfront startup expenses, a lot larger. I mean, we've heard, you know, that it costs sometimes millions of dollars if you want to buy a substantial franchise like a McDonald's or a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts. Those businesses require people to come in. They require visitors on a regular basis. And in order to do that, what has to happen? The store has to be open. You know, now uh, McDonald's corporate, for example, they have franchises all over the world. They're generating revenues 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not to mention the ability, uh, you know, the partners have with other industries like toys and beverages and stadiums to diversify and create more residual income for that franchise. So a business is unique because it allows you to not only leverage your debt to grow your business, but it also allows you to leverage other people's time and efforts as well. 
So these two factors running in harmony can generate profits above and beyond the cost of just running the business. And as I mentioned, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, who talks about this in Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Cashflow Quadrant, two of the books that are, I, I believe are definitely worth reading for you. The person that starts the business and begins self-employment must work and have a vision to create a system and thus a business where that business can run without the owner being there. Being self-employed, you know, think of that hot dog stand and owning the business, think about a hot dog stand franchise are two different things. So the next one is uh, investments. And when I think of investments, I typically think of stocks and bonds. Um, most people understand if you buy a stock or you buy a bond and you hold it for a period of time, after a period of time, that stock or bond usually can beat inflation. I mean, if you look at historical returns over a period of time, one of the most uh, telltale sign is that over time, these stocks and bonds are going to increase in value. And if they increase in value for a long time, and you're consistently investing in them, you can eventually start to take that money out and have a residual income. I mean, think about if you, you know, had invested in Apple or in Google when they first started and you continually invested in them over a period of time and the, the, the asset grew and grew and grew and then you started to withdraw that money as a residual and it continued to grow. So you weren't withdrawing more than it was actually um, returning to you. And there are rules and there are regulations that are around that that can make that actually work for your benefit. Um, so investments can be a great form of residual income. It takes a little bit more um, of everything. It takes a little bit more money. It takes a little bit more time. It takes a little bit more knowledge. And obviously there are people out there that can help you with this. This is an area that I am, you know, I am partial to because I've been successful doing it, but it's not for everyone. It should be a, a you know, a, a percentage of your portfolio, but not your whole portfolio in my opinion. I like to have a diversification in my portfolio. So stocks and bonds are just one way to create a residual income. There are also some more advanced strategies for generating income in the stock market, depending on the amount of risk and time and effort that you're willing to devote. Um, the disadvantage of investing in stocks and bonds are that there are swings and they can be la rather large and intense at some points. And if you're not trained in risk management and how to handle those swings, um, you can get discouraged or you can even lose money and you can lose it very quickly. Compared to real estate, uh, the income is not as tax, tax advantaged um, as rental income, so to speak, once you factor in the tax benefits of depreciation and owning a building, so on and so forth. Um, further, some people don't like that wealth is on paper as opposed to owning a building or land or something that they can touch or a business, you know what I mean? Um, the other negatives are that, you know, with bonds, for example, we're in historically low interest rates right now. We have been for 40 plus years. And holding bonds uh, and clipping the proverbial coupon isn't as profitable as it used to be. Um, so, you know, it's a little riskier to be in bonds. They generate a yield or income, but, you know, you're looking at for ways you can increase your yield or income and try to avoid that chance of loss. Um, let's move on to real estate. As I come to a close here, I just want to make sure you understand that real estate 
is an awesome source of leveraged income because you're leveraging other people's money, which we refer to as OPM. And when you're looking at real estate and owning rentals and doing this for the potential of income, real estate kind of provides the trifecta of residual income. First, you have a home or a rental property that can appreciate in value. So it's capital appreciation. And at the same time, you're charging someone rent. So you're, you're having cash flow that comes in. I personally just leased a house for six months when I was out in California. So those owners that, that leased it to me, I was paying their mortgage, their insurance, their property taxes, their maintenance and expenses and all that stuff that typically the owner would have to incur. But I was paying it because I was their renter. So there's, there's some great benefits to owning real estate and renting it to other people, uh, whether it's long-term or short-term. Real estate also provides some tax protection. Uh, rental income is taxed at a lower rate than ordinary income, which is cool, and it can be depreciated. Uh, so real estate is uh, a very cool way to create a residual income. Um, there are many different types of real estate. I mean, single family homes, duplexes, townhomes, condos, multifamily homes, uh, even mobile homes, mobile parks, uh, Airbnbs, flipping properties. Those are all parts of uh, the real estate business. And in all of those, there's an opportunity to create real residual income. So let's move on to our final topic on residual income, which is uh, a compound interest savings account. And in many cases, I refer to life insurance as one of the top ways to do this because of the amazing tax benefits that are powerful there. Um, this is another form of residual income. In my experience, if you are a person that can create a systematic savings for yourself, um, and you can put money away on a regular basis. This is the difference between saving and investing that has been clouded as of late because of low interest rates and the attraction for growth. But for decades, it has created significant wealth um, for people that would typically be buying, you know, CDs at the bank that were earning at, you know, for many years, five and six percent interest. Today, they're close to zero. So they're not even an option for people anymore because it's not even covering the cost of inflation. The reason that I love this particular form of residual income and investing in it on a regular basis systematically is because it's contractually guaranteed. It takes out all the risk. So you're, you're basically know where you're going to be at. They give you these illustrations or projections on where your money is going to go based on how the contract works with the insurance company. And I really like that as far as creating a passive residual income. It gives you the opportunity to leverage yourself and you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to master anything. It's really pretty much done for you within the contract that you have with the life insurance company. And the life insurance companies have been very strong lobbyists in Washington, D.C., and they're able to create some tremendous tax benefits for us. And um, one of the reasons that I love it, and this is one of the things that I do for a lot of the, uh, the people that are part of my family, did a whole episode on this too. So if you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to the episode about tax-free investing and how you can use an index universal life insurance policy to create a residual income for yourself that's tax-free. So as we wrap up, there are very few people that are actively working all seven of the residual income categories. But it's not inconceivable that you might be invested in three or four or even five of them. Based on your willingness to invest time, take some risk, create some value for others. This can be outstanding. 
As you can see, some of the options fit nicely together and we can work together hand in hand to make this happen. Um, others are a little more specific and stand alone, but all in all, you know, many of the people that I have worked with uh, have decided that they're no longer willing to rely on just one stream of income to provide for their family, to protect their family and build that financial wall around themselves. So if you're employed by someone else, which means uh, you have, in my opinion, even less control over your financial fate, then this is a good, strong indication that if you have a desire to earn money in a variety of ways, this is an even stronger um, building block for your residual income. One of our favorite things to do with our family and with our extended family is to dream big and to create a strategy for making those dreams come true. If you would like to explore some of these opportunities for yourself, by all means, you can do that. You don't necessarily need startup capital. You just need a willingness to do this and you can get started. You can book a call with Susan or Chelsea or myself. We're here to help you guys. We are absolutely excited about this and we look forward to your inquiry. With that, let's move on. Let's do this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Family Business Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how you can join our growing family and begin implementing the success principles to building a financial wall around your family, you can go to thefamilybusiness.info forward slash call and you can schedule a call with us because we have saved a spot at the table for you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and the people that you care about. And we would love it if you would take a second to give us a five-star review to help future family members just like you find us. I leave you with this. In life, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you believe, plan, and expect. Let's do this.